0: Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And today is the fourth out of four episodes out of our financial tune-up series. We started four weeks ago talking about how do you review your 2020 tax return to make sure your tax is in order. We then spoke about investments, how to make sure your investments are properly allocated given any potential changes over the past year plus. Last week, we talked about insurance, how to make sure that you have the appropriate insurance coverage when it comes to health, life, long-term care, and disability insurance. And today, we're going to talk about the issues you should look at when reviewing your estate planning documents. And the reason for all of this, the reason for this little mini-series is because of the change, because of the disruption, because of just so much different things happening over the past year plus, this is a great time to review our financial house. Make sure everything's in order. And today is going to complete our mini-series. Now, when it comes to estate planning, there can be a lot of details It can get very complicated. And there's estate planning when you are looking at estates in excess of a certain threshold, a certain size. And there's really estate planning that everyone should be looking at. What we're going to focus on today is fairly high level estate planning items that everyone should be looking at. Not only if you have a 30 million plus estate, but whoever you are, if you have family, if you have children, if you have property, if you have intentions that you want to have carried out this episode is going to be for you. We're not going to go super in depth. We're going to keep it fairly high level, but the goal of this is to make sure you have the basics in place so that you and your family are protected in the event that something happens. So let's go through this again, just like the other episodes, the checklist for today, the document that summarizes everything we're going to talk about today is available on the Ready for Retirement website at readyforretirement.co, but I'm going to be going through that on this episode. So basic things that you need to look at when you're reviewing your estate planning documents is have you recently changed residency? Have you moved to a different state? And this doesn't necessarily mean recent, but have you changed states since you initially put your estate plan in order? If you have a trust or a will or advanced directives and you did that in one state, but you have since moved states, you need to make sure that you've established new estate plan documents with that new state. A lot of times different states will have slightly different requirements. They'll have different provisions that make a, make a document valid versus invalid. So make sure that you have an estate plan that is valid under the laws of your, what you'll call domicile, so your new state. Also, as you're doing this, make sure that you're reviewing any applicable laws and changes that have occurred since you last executed your documents, whether at the state level or at the federal level. So if you, if you created your estate plan 30 years ago, things have changed. So make sure that your documents are accurately reflecting what you want them to be reflecting by understanding the laws that have changed or provisions that have changed and making sure those are updated in your estate plan. Next, and this one's kind of an obvious one, but you'd be surprised or you'd be shocked at how many people can't do this, is make sure that you know where the actual location of your original documents are. It doesn't matter if you have your trust and your will and your powers of directives and your powers of attorneys or your advanced directives, I should say. If you don't know where those documents are, and if things aren't titled correctly, then they don't really do you any good. So ensure that your documents are kept in a safe but accessible place. Make sure that your family and or you're the fiduciaries in your life understand where those documents are. Ideally, keep a copy. If you have a financial advisor or a trusted professional in your life that can have a copy of everything, you want to make sure that those documents are accessible for when they might be needed. So those are the general issues. Now let's go line by line through the different types of documents you might need. Number one is your general power of attorney. So your power of attorney is something that you would want to have on file because what it shows or what it is, is a power of attorney is going to act on behalf of you in any and all matters as allowed by the state. So if there's things that you can't do, or if you're at some point you're incapacitated and can't do, whether it's things like handling a bank account, signing checks, selling property, filing taxes, these are things that a power of attorney can do for you. So if you do have a general power of attorney, Understand whether the powers are effective immediately. So if the, the person in that role, if those powers are effective immediately, or if they're springing, meaning they are contingent upon the occurrence of some factor, such as incapacity, and whether they're durable, meaning do they continue beyond your incapacity? So make sure that you understand who that power of attorney is and what the provisions are for when that would spring into action. Next, do you need to review your appointed agents? So if so, consider the following. If you name multiple agents, review whether they can act individually or if they must act jointly. Know that there are more complexities that will arise when agents have to act together because it requires unanimous consent or it requires them working together and understanding or agreeing upon the best outcome. Or consider naming an individual agent under general power of attorney if convenience is a priority. If you have someone that you trust and if you want decisions to be made easier, more conveniently, you might want to consider having an individual agent serve as your power of attorney as opposed to having multiple powers of attorney. Also, confirm that you have successor agents that could be a good backup for your primary agent. So if you name someone as your general power of attorney in the case of your incapacity, well, what happens if they're not available to serve in that role or they're not in a capacity to serve in that role? Make sure that you have backups to your primary agent that could be named in case that's needed. Also, do you want to limit your agent's power? So just because you have a general power of attorney does not mean that the powers are universal. You can limit the powers to a certain extent. So understand what things do you want them to be able to do for you? What don't you want them to be able to do for you to make sure that's all handled now when you have your capacities, as you have your faculties before anything happens to make sure that something does happen, everything is set up appropriately. And then with the general power of attorney, If you have revoked any prior general power of attorneys in the past, consider appropriate steps to take to prevent any unauthorized action by prior agents. So if there was a power of attorney that you used to have, and for whatever reason you had to revoke that, make sure that you have whatever measures are in place. Make sure that whatever institutions you have that power of attorney on file with, they know that's been revoked so that they cannot take any actions on your behalf. And all that is handled according to your intentions. Next thing to review is your healthcare power of attorney and your living will. So the difference between a general power of attorney and your healthcare power of attorney is that your healthcare power of attorney is going to be an agent that's authorized to make decisions on your behalf as regards to healthcare. So the decisions about the kinds of medical treatment that you want, the potential end of life decisions that might need to be made. So as you look at your healthcare power of attorney, make sure that you're reviewing your appointed agents. For many people, the agent will be a spouse or it will be a sibling or it will be someone that they trust implicitly to make the kinds of decisions that they would want to make if they were in a position to do so. Now, given the nature of this role, sometimes it is best to have a local available agent, a professional kind of fiduciary third party agent that could best serve your needs in this scenario. If it is, say, a sibling that's going to serve in this role, but that sibling's on the opposite side of the country and they are busy with work and with family and whatever it might be they may be great. They may have your best intentions at heart, but if they're not in a position to be able to serve in that role, you might not be getting the best care or best attention to your needs that you could be. Again, even with this, if you do name multiple agents, review whether they may act individually or whether they must act jointly. Understand there are potential inefficiencies in any disputes that could arise among co-agents with respect to your healthcare. So sometimes if you do have one individual that understands your interests, that could be the most efficient way to go, especially as someone is making healthcare decisions. And at times that decision may need to be made very quickly and abruptly and in the most efficient way possible. And then with this as well, confirm that your successor agents are good backups for your primary agent. So if for whatever reason, your primary agent can't serve in this role, make sure that you do have successor agents that could be backups in that case. Are you planning to undergo a health procedure? If so, consider executing any relevant medical institutions, healthcare power of attorney forms, meaning before doing that, see if they have their own power of attorney forms, they would want you to fill out what this does is it makes sure that you have a power of attorney on file before any medical procedure, before you go under any type of surgery or medical care, have that power of attorney form on file before then. So that as a result of that, if something happens, you have the power of attorney that can step in and make decisions on your behalf, if applicable. Also, check to see if you need to receive or if you need to review your healthcare power of attorney to confirm any HIPAA authorizations. So, just kind of a checklist or a thing to do there. Make sure you're reviewing your healthcare POA to confirm HIPAA authorizations and see if you need to confirm that you've clearly expressed your wishes regarding your end of life treatment options. So, when it comes to end of life treatment options, things like artificial nutrition, Hydration, life-prolonging medical procedures in the event of a terminal condition, vegetative state, decisions around things like that, things that are not fun to talk about, but you want to make sure you have provisions in place before anything potentially could happen. So review your living will declaration, review your instructions, make sure that your intentions are properly outlined there so that if you're to go into a potentially serious medical situation, you have everything on file before then. Next thing to look at is your last will and testament. So first, do you need to review your executor, your personal representative, your appointments or successors? If so, confirm that your appointed fiduciary is qualified to serve under your state laws and consider whether they are capable of fulfilling their duties. When you're naming an executor or a personal representative, it's someone that's going to be making very important decisions on your behalf. Make sure someone that number one is qualified to serve based upon your state's law and make sure they're capable of fulfilling their duties. Like I mentioned before, this could be your best friend. It could be a sibling. It could be someone you're very close with. It could be a spouse, but if they're not capable of fulfilling those duties, then it's not going to do you much good. If you are naming co-fiduciaries weigh the benefits against the possible complications, just like I stated with a general power of attorney and the healthcare power of attorney, having one single person to make decisions for you. If it's a person you trust can oftentimes be the best route to go. Another thing to look at with your last will and testament, if if you have minor children, confirm that your estate plan includes trust provisions. Maybe this is a testamentary trust or a living trust, so as to control the timing and amount of access to funds. So if you have your Investments. If you have your savings and if you pass away, you may not want your minor children to have full access to that, full control over that right away. What you may want to set up is you want to make sure that there's a trust in place. And maybe, for example, your child gets a third of the assets at age 25 and a third of the assets at 30 and a third of the assets at 35 or whatever provision you want. But make sure that there's something in place or, or at least consider having something in place that controls the timing of when those funds might be received. Also, if you have minor children, make sure to name one or more guardians, including successors, that could care for your minor children in the event of the death of both parents. So that might be you and your spouse. If you both pass away, are your minor children going to be cared for? Now, consider whether the same individual that should serve as trustee, so making some of the decisions in terms of dispersing assets, making sure that everything is cared for, should that trustee also be the guardian for your minor children? Or do you want a division of responsibility? Sometimes a division of responsibility here could actually be more beneficial. Maybe you have one person that would serve as the guardian for your minor children and another person that would serve as trustee, making sure that the assets were distributed as needed. When you are naming a married couple as a guardian, consider if death or divorce of one party would affect their suitability. You know, for example, do you have a brother and your brother's married to an amazing woman and you say, hey, she would be so great to serve as the guardian for my minor children if something were to happen to me and my spouse. Well, that could be great, but consider what would happen if, if your brother and his spouse were to divorce or if she were to pass. Would that change the suitability? Would that change you wanting your brother to still serve as guardian? And of course, I'm just making this up as an example, or would you want to make a different decision at that point? So just play through all these different contingencies and scenarios to make sure that if you pass, your minor children would be cared for in the best possible way. Another thing to look for as you're looking at this is, do you need to review the allocation of your estate or the inheritance tax burden? Now, today, the estate tax is very high. One thing that could be changed though, is just that the estate tax could be coming down significantly depending upon new tax legislation, which we won't know for probably another few to several months here. But understanding what the potential state tax might be to see is there anything that you can do now, any estate tax strategies to properly plan for that? Also, a big thing now is digital assets. So do you have a plan for your digital assets and information? So this podcast, for example, would be an example of a digital asset. If something were to happen to me, what would happen to this podcast? Maybe you have a social media page, maybe you have a website, maybe you have an online shop. Whatever it is, that is an asset just because it's not tangible, just because it's not a currency or an investment account or cash account does not mean that it's not an asset. So do you have a plan for your digital assets if appropriate or if applicable? Another thing to look at here is does your will refer to a tangible personal property memorandum? This is a separate document that allows you to make gifts of your tangible personal property. This could be things like furniture, this could be things like jewelry. This could be things like electronics, clothing, any personal property that you have that you want to make specific gifts with. You know, Maybe you want to give your jewelry to your daughter, or maybe you have some electronics that you want to give to your son, or maybe you have a collection of something that you want to give to someone else. You can identify that. You can have a separate document that gives you or that allows you to make distinct gifts of personal property. If that is the case, ensure that you've completed that memorandum according to your wishes if that's going to be included in your will. Next thing to look at is your revocable trust. So do you need to review your trustees or co-trustee appointments and successors? So the trustee is going to be the person that's qualified to serve under your state laws, and it's going to be the person that's responsible for the distribution of your estate and someone that's carrying out the wishes of your will and of your trust. So you can have this be an individual person that you know, like a spouse, like a sibling, like a a family member, like a friend, or you could have a corporate fiduciary. And a corporate fiduciary is gonna be a separate third party, typically of no relation, and their corporate fiduciary responsibility is going to be to serve as a trustee. So if you don't want conflict to arise, or if you have a very messy situation, or you don't feel like you can trust anyone that's in your family or friend group without causing a lot of drama, you might want to have a corporate fiduciary. Just keep in mind, there are going to be some costs to doing so. So as you review your trustee appointments and your successors, make sure that you have the right people in place. Also, do you have any beneficiaries with special needs? If so, you may want to set up a special needs trust to account for that. As you're reviewing your trust, check to see, does your will pour over into your trust? Now, what that means is when people make their revocable living trust, they do it to avoid probate. Anything that is in your trust avoids probate. So it's common as people are doing this for them to also make what's called a pour over will, which means that will will direct that if any property passes through the will at the person's death, it should be transferred to AKA poured into the trust and then distributed to the beneficiaries of the trust. So it's kind of like a catch-all of saying anything that's in the will, but not directly in the trust that should pour over into the trust. So as to avoid probate also, as you're looking at your trust, do you need to fund it now? Or do you need to fund your trust over your lifetime? If so, what assets need to be conveyed to your trust or added to it? Trust owned assets, again, avoid probate. So you want to make sure that everything's titled correctly with things like IRAs or qualified retirement accounts. You can name a beneficiary there. But things like your home, things like personal assets, things like brokerage accounts, unless it's a transfer on death registration, those won't always pass directly to who you want them to pass to unless they're owned by the trust. So that's how you fund your trust and make sure that you understand how your trust should be funded. Now, there are some cases where you might have some irrevocable trusts. You might have an ILIT, which is an irrevocable life insurance trust. If you do confirm that the trustee is properly administrating the trust and that all premiums are properly paid and that any crummy notices are timely or are, are issued in a timely manner. Islet trusts at this point seem to be a little bit more rare just with the estate tax threshold or exemption so high right now. But again, if that exemption drops, then I could see these being more and more prevalent or more and more common. What it essentially is, is it's a trust that has life insurance policy in it. And the the purpose of that is to pay any estate taxes due upon the trustee's passing or upon the grantor's passing. So not so common today, but if you do have an islet, confirm the trustee is properly administering the trust. Now, do you have a split interest trust, like a charitable remainder trust or charitable lead trust? Again, make sure that the trustee is properly administering that and the annual payments are being properly calculated and made. There's all kinds of other trusts. There are grantor retained annuity trusts. There's things called spousal lifetime access trusts. There's things called qualified personal residence trusts. And so you can see how estate planning can be very complex. I'm not going to get into the details of what all those are, what they all mean. But if you have one, it is crucial to make sure they're administered properly because if not, the trust provisions, the protections that they provide might be washed away or might be eliminated. So just make sure that as you're looking at any potential irrevocable trusts, make sure they're being managed properly. Also make sure that you are at least confirming that income tax returns are properly filed for your irrevocable trusts. So if you're not filing income taxes properly, each trust likely will have its own separate tax return. Make sure that's being done. And also make sure that the actions you're taking are consistent with the terms of the trust. If not, it could cause complications. It could cause some of the trust provisions to be revoked, and we don't want that to happen. Now, there's some other miscellaneous things to look for on this checklist I'm going to have on the Ready for Retirement webpage. But one of the biggest things to know here is when it comes to your investments, your assets, your other things that you have, things that you own, you want to make sure that everything is titled correctly. So review your retirement accounts, make sure the beneficiary provisions are correct. Review your life insurance policies. Make sure the beneficiary provisions are correct. Make sure you're reviewing your annuities. Make sure that if you have a home, that your home is in the name of your trust. It needs to be deeded into your trust. Make sure that if you have any assets that are jointly owned, if you don't want them to be in your trust, you don't have to, but at a minimum, make sure that there's a transfer on death or a payable on death provision on it to ensure that those assets pass directly to who they're supposed to pass to if you were to pass. So ideally, the goal is to avoid probate. The goal is to ensure with, with all of your estate planning that you have protection for your family, that you have protection for yourself in terms of general powers of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, advanced directives, and that everything, all your intentions, all your wishes are carried out in the manner that you would like for them to be. So that is it for today. Today was all about what issues to look at when reviewing your state plan. If you don't think you have a state plan, you always do. It's either you decide how it's going to be or the state decides how it's going to be. You determine your estate plan or the state determines your estate plan. So these are just things to be looking for. These are things that you should be monitoring. This checklist, again, is on the Ready for Retirement webpage. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. And there's a page called Submit Your Question, where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey, everyone. It's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.